Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus. Brendan here with Mark, episode 309, Thursday, August the 28th. Fourth, two thousand and twenty-three. Almost the end of August already. Mark, how are you? I'm wonderful, Brendan. It is. It's amazing how quickly this year is slipping past. It's probably one of those things that happens as you get older. The years whip past much more quickly, but this one's really ripping through. I can't believe that we're verging on September. Us old timers struggle to keep up with things, don't we, Mark? And things fly by as we get old. Yes, it is. I think since and well, COVID sort of went. Those COVID years went quick and they went slow at the same time, didn't they? It was a weird, a weird time. And as soon as COVID, well, the the, the initial lockdowns and everything finished, um, things have. I reckon things have flown by quicker. Um, and, and life is life is in the busy lane, isn't it, Mark? And speaking of speaking of life in the busy lane, things have been quite busy at work, which is good. Um, bit of a hectic day today. One of those days when everything happens at once. You have that sort of you know things are plugging away. I was doing a surgical half day today, and then you know what happens the the what hits the roof and um uh, everything happens and then you're crazy and everybody just head down and they did a fantastic job for an hour or two until things settle back down again and, and away you go so nature of the beast isn't it of the industry indeed it is indeed it is and you're probably Having nothing like that, sitting on your deck <laughs> chair, um, getting up at the crack of dawn to take some photos of birds and crocodiles, I see, with your posts, um, and living the, live the dream, living the dream. Just You still worry me, Mark. I just, just don't want you to be taken out of a croc stomach one of these days, you know. Um, I am. I am. I, I have just volunteered, Brendan, for um, some hands-on crocodile work so um we're going to jump on them and and uh place trackers after suitable restraint so i'll be fine <laughs> be i'll careful. be fine be careful be <laughs> careful out there and um i look forward to some some stories over a few oh, drinks and speaking of drinks mark we should really plug out the upav conference the unusual pet and avian veterinarians group special interest group within the Australian Veterinary Association, our annual conference is fast approaching, Mark, in November. So for all of the listeners who do not know about this conference, it is in November in Sydney in Australia. So even if you're not in Australia, come on down, come on over, come on on across, come on up if you're in Antarctic, and come and see us and visit the conference. It's a fantastic conference, three-day conference running from Monday the 20th till the 22nd, Mark, Wednesday. So a very punchy three-days conference, and uh, it will be fun. And great time, 
will be had by everybody and we will be catching up with a lot of colleagues and um, I think that's a good time for you to tell us a few crocodile stories, Mark. I'll be I'll be I'll meet you at the bar. Be on at Sunday the bar. night yep. before I'll the conference. See you at the bar. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think with that, I've got um, a, a. I find this article um, a bit annoying, Mark. <laughs> I, I I'm know. the same as you. I try not to get upset by this stuff, but I get annoyed <laughs> by it too. So the article says scientists name a snake species after Harrison Ford. And the actor jokes that it's always scary animals that are named after him because I think this is a third species, Mark, that has been named after Harrison Ford. Um, the new species of snake discovered by researchers in a remote area in the Peruvian Andes, Mark, and as you know, where are the Andes? They're on the end of your armies, has been named after the Hollywood actor. Tachymendoides, or Menoides Harrison Ford, Mark, um, has been named and it's in an area that i'm sure there's lots of other species of um, all sorts not just reptiles mark that um, have yet to be discovered because it's an area a region of steep mountains um, that's often used for the illegal drug trade um, Korea's going over that region mark so there we go so he, he said he was quite um, um, humbling apparently um, but they've already Named two other species, Mark, a species of ant and a type of spider have already been named after Harrison Ford, Mark. So the bit I find a bit annoying is that, um, you know, why are we naming them after actors? Although the article does mention that he is vice chair of the not-for-profit environmental organisation Conservation International. So well done, Harrison. Um, And I must say Blade Runner and Blade Runner um, 2 or... 402049 or whatever it's called is uh, are two of my very favourite films, Mark. <laughs> Having sort of that. But yes, it should be named after um, Marcus Simpson, the crocodile wrangler. Um, <laughs> I, I do. I do. It is my, I, like, this is one of those situations where at least he is involved in, in conservation and, and by using his name they're trying to celebrate his involvement and also cash in i mean there's this publicity yeah yes so people yes yes and that's all good but i don't know names should be descriptive like there should be the species name should mention that tachymenoides harrison ford is um pale yellow brown and black uh, camouflage colours and maybe some sort of Latin descriptor of the, I don't know. That's it's just my little thing. I don't think uh, immortalising people by naming species after them is a good thing. Yes, I tell you what, Mark. Um, slight segue here. I think segue. we should name. I I think we should name a species after our after our esteemed researcher, Mark. <laughs> Um, let's just call him Doug, and uh, I think he um, was a little bit upset with a couple of comments we made uh, last week. So, um, if I ever get asked to um, name a species that I'm, I'm lucky enough to discover, uh, I will call it um, Doug Eye. Uh, there you go. It's wonderful that he has 
quite possibly the best sense of humour of any human being I've ever met. So he will um, provide us with excellent jokes and take all that you said with the uh, humour that it was intended. But um, we'd be lost without him, Brendan. Yes, just don't get on the wrong side of him, Mark. That's all I can say. <laughs> I think with that, we'll move on to your story, Mark. More clickbait, Brendan. More clickbait. Um, researchers from the University of Bristol have received funding to study how artificial intelligence might be used to detect disease in dairy cows earlier. So, um, the uh, bi biotechnology. Uh, and Biological Sciences Research Council has given money um, to Bristol Veterinary School to um, develop AI techniques to monitor social interactions of cattle, which will give very early indications of diseases such as mastitis and lameness, the two of which are amongst the most significant diseases affecting the UK dairy industry. They compromise the health and welfare of the cows specifically, and they can lead to significant financial losses for farmers. So identifying them earlier will make a big difference. Um, so, yeah, I assume that there will be some sort of remote observation. And the sick cows, the cows that are starting to get lame or feel a bit seedy because they have mastitis, they tend to develop... Uh, altered social interactions, which um, AI can identify um, and therefore lead to very, very early treatment and lessen the welfare and economic consequences of the disease. Um, I think this is just, um, they, they're calling it AI, but I think it's very likely to be simply a computer program that observes the movements of the cows. I don't know whether they're going to do it by video. Lots of these dairy cows now have trackers on them. So, um, yeah, the computer will just... Oh, no, they're going to recognise each cow by its distinctive coat pattern. So it must be video. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I think they just say AI so it gets a headline and... yes. And then it's in the news and we talk about it. I think it. it's a good idea to potentially try and look at these, you know, behavioural changes to pick up early -er, these signs of mastitis, which is the whole crux of it, isn't it? But, yeah, it's a little bit clickbait here. So I'll tell you what, this reminds me of a that classic Gary Larson cartoon, Mark, um, where the man was trying – he developed this uh, – uh, machine to decode what dogs were saying. Uh, if you, I don't know whether you remember oh. that one. Um, and uh, he has this little helmet on his head that's decoding what all the dogs in the neighbourhood are saying and the dogs are all just barking and, and the cartoon has in, um, translated them all to just saying, hey, 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 to each <laughs> other. So well, That's all the dogs are saying to each other. You, you, you. Um, so, yes. There we go. Um I think with that, we should jump in to... Oh, because was, I don't... There's, just before we jump in, I know we're going to be punchy, but I just wanted to make an announcement, Brendan. The sound, Australia's favourite animal sound. Oh, oh yes. yes. We spoke about this um, election, yes. this uh, popular vote, um, and I suppose, uh, unsurprisingly, the magpie came out in front, not only just by a little bit, 
but um, there was 150,000 votes and um, the magpie got two-thirds of them, 100,000, um, and left the rest of the field of 20-odd sounds from Australian animals in the dust, Brendan. Yes. Um, and well, I, I can't say that's a surprise. Yes. And I, the thing that I found fascinating with it, and there was a bit of a summary of um, that in a few different news articles, one, and Mark, Mark, one of them mentioned about the octave register of magpies is four, and they have 900-plus known syllables, Mark. Um, and then their comment was, a wider range of notes than Freddie Mercury, of Queen. <laughs> <laughs> the legendary singer of Queen. So there you go. So um, I must admit that, I, as I mentioned last week, that that I, I do think it's a classic sound, that the chortling of, of magpies early in the morning, Mark. So bloody annoying, but um, <laughs> sometimes. I love it. Yes. Um, no. So there we go. Yes, Magpies first. What was the? Um, I didn't look to see what the. I, I know they won by a very long way. Can yes, you? I can tell you. Just bear with me. I will tell you that um, the second place getter was the Kookaburra. Yes. And uh, we'll just run through a couple more here. Um, Kookaburra and the Butcher Bird was uh, third. In fact, birds took out the. Uh, I think it was nine of the top ten places. Whitbird, Lyrebird, Black Cockatoo, the Banjo Frog. My uh, little um, election was uh, number seven. And then we go Boo Book, Fairy Wren. Oh, Cicada came in at number ten, the world world's loudest insect. Yes. Pobblebonk um, was seventh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 28th was the squeaky chirps of the ringtail possum. There you go. And, and why the brush-tailed possum was down at number 26, Mark, I do not know. It's 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 a horrible scream, isn't it? The, the squeal, scream, grunting. The possums actually filled quite a few of the last. Uh, they got virtually no votes, um, our poor possums. They were 26, 27, 28. The last three. Yeah. Um, the one that I found surprising was the humpback whale, Mark. That's how a, is I a just, hump, can you is hear a, that possum? Yeah. yeah. How is a humpback whale a favourite animal sound in Australia? I don't think too many people would, would hear them. I suppose it's in their minds they, they feel connected to, to whales, I suppose. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yes. All right, let's move on, Mark. Move, move on. on to our main topic, frog anesthesia. And we've hinted at this one a little bit about amphibian anesthesia previously, but I think we'll crack through some main points of frog anesthesia. And a bit of a tough one because it's, it's something that I think a lot of veterinarians, when they have the thought of having to anesthetise an amphibian, or we'll stick to frogs, it's a, it's a bit... They, they have, have a big sigh and they think, oh no, what do I have to do? And because it's a lot of work, isn't it? It's a, a, a you need to prepare is 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 the important bit with this. Um, prepare other, everything from the not just what to use, but the the gear, the the, the equipment to put the frog in, how how you keep it anaesthetized, how you recover it, Mark. And I like to think that um, that I would do 
a large number of frog anesthetics, but it's still not something that you would do every day or every week for that matter. And so you, it's almost like having to relearn significant parts of it as you go. And the other thing that's frustrating is that um, different frogs behave differently. Um, so it is, even those of us that get to do it relatively frequently, will we won't quite roll our eyes, but we will let out a little bit of a sigh. It's a bit of a challenge. It's a bit of a challenge, and their response, as we'll chat about, to the various anaesthetic agents can certainly be variable, not just based on the species involved, but based on response with a particular species um, mark where you might have several individuals that you anaesthetise over a period of time and they all react a little bit differently, don't they? Even um, more, so this, the same thing applies to within an individual. Like, that's not consistent. The same anaesthetic uh, that used on the, the same individual at different times won't always produce the same yes, result. What's, so, that all, what's that all about, Mark? I think we must be pretty crap at this anaesthesia. Uh, so let's jump into it. Why do we need to anaesthetise some Mark? What's the, what's the um, reasons? Well, the most common reason that I have to anaesthetise them uh, are for small surgical procedures, removals, removal of lumps, uh, we would also be taking skin biopsies um, and uh, um, sometimes we'd be repairing fractured limbs or maybe even considering amputation from uh, uh, compromised limbs. Um, sometimes uh, we need an anaesthetic to uh, perform a... Um, foreign body removal um, yes. whole, this sort of standard array of um of small animal problems uh they apply to frogs as well so yeah and All... blood collection is another one mark oh, i yeah, put on the yeah. list unfortunately that we may have to you know at least sedate them to to get a decent crack at collecting blood from them so yes. which is a bit of a paradox isn't it because we often want to get blood before we anaesthetise them so we can be confident of their health status. But, uh, but oftentimes that, uh, that's not an easy thing to do until you have them sedate or uh, less mobile. Yep, absolutely. And I tend to lump it into our options of the techniques, Mark, or the method of anaesthetising them um, into injectable anaesthetics yep. and anaesthetic baths, um, so solutions that we put in a bath solution, and also inhalation uh, or in, in um, typically isofluorane. Some people use, I don't know whether you have used sevofluorane for them, but um, yes. um, and, and that's one that people forget that you can bubble the anaesthetic gas through a um, solution um, for them, or you can, once they're sedate or anaesthetise, you can actually um, put a pipe into them, can't you, Mark? <laughs> you can. And, and, and um, use the inhalation anaesthesia that way, but it's one that's often forgotten because I think the majority of people will just use either the bath solutions or the injectable solutions. So let's, let's sort of chat a little bit about those primarily. And uh, I suppose actually before we do that, we should talk about <laughs> getting ready and I mentioned that at the at the outset, Mark. Um, we need to get everything out, don't we? Indeed. And what sort of things do we need to get ready, Mark? Well, probably one of the most important things is a container. 
and um, the container obviously depends a little bit on which technique you're going to use um, but let's say we are going to use um, we're going to apply something topically either an immersion or a topical point, uh, um, preparation um, then you need to put the amphibian in a in a container and and the sort of tubs the plastic tubs you can buy for refrigerated food um, they make good containers for anesthetizing amphibians they're opaque and um, are translucent and so that gives the amphibian some sense that they're enclosed but you because they're translucent you can still see inside um, and check up on things you have to be a little bit careful about the containers Brendan because the frogs can um well, jump and in their confusion and uh, uh, um, peri anesthetic haze, they can do themselves some damage. And so, setting it up so that uh, the inside is um, well softened or protected, uh, maybe some bubble wrap around the edges to prevent them from smashing into hard plastic, they're all good things to think about for an anesthetic container. Yes. And then we also need to then decide which type of anaesthetic induction we are going to use, Mark, and we need to get all that gear ready. So if we chat about, let's go jump into the, the one that we probably spend more time on, and that's put in anaesthetic solutions into the bath solution, Mark. So what do we need to do? Well, the first thing I was going to mention about this is that there's some regional variation. Some of our listeners in some countries will have access to some of these things and uh, and others, and particularly in Australia, um, one of the most common agents in the literature, tricane um, methosulfonide, um, uh, commonly MS-222. Yes. MS-222. Um, it's not available in Australia, and so we have to do without that one. Um, but, um, but yes, getting your uh, agent ready, um, getting a suitable dilution if you're going to uh, create an immersion, um, mixing up a specific dose maybe with some uh, water-soluble gel that can be applied to the skin sometimes is another way to do it. All this stuff has to be prepared in advance um, and, uh, and then... Um, gotten ready so that as soon as the frog has had its physical exam and is ready to go, um, the, the immersion can occur. And then put the kettle on, Mark. <laughs> put the kettle on. Give, put the solution in the water. Um, and this, we won't talk about, I mean, the, the, the other um, anaesthetics that are water-soluble that are often mentioned or used, Mark, the, the tricane you mentioned, um, alfaxalone is the one that we um, tend to use a fair bit and I know it is increasingly used um, worldwide. And the other one is variations on the clove oil solutions, Mark, like eugenol and, and uh, the um, product called Aquies, which is uh, a New Zealand product, I think, that's used here in Australia. I'm not sure whether it's used in Europe and the US as well but um, they're the three that I, I tend to think of all, all the time um, as, as the ones that are most commonly used um, and there's varying methods and, and recommendations as far as how you 
dilute them down. For instance, the aqueous one, I think you know, dilute it down um, a certain amount, and then you dilute it down again to put it into the the water. The sort of two or three steps, isn't there, with that one? So we won't go into detail with the particular methods there, but um, yeah, the uptake um, can can take some time is what I sort of hinted at there and that may take um, several minutes if not longer for it. Um, what are we looking for, Mark, as far as knowing whether or not that solution is doing its job? Well, the, the key thing that I can see through the container, the first one is um, changes in pattern of uh, the patterns of respiration and often um, with developing uh, depth of anesthesia, respiration may even cease with some of our uh, am anesthetized amphibians. Uh, but you can clearly see the um, ventilatory excursions in these frogs and monitoring its decline in rate and uh, degree of excursion um, is a good first indication. The second thing, depending on the circumstance, um, you may well be able to have a Doppler um, ultrasound probe resting in the solution underneath the frog, just behind the pelvic girdle, um, and monitor the cardi blood flow through the, the heart, the cardiac blood flow, um, and obviously that will give you the rate, and that can give you a little bit of an idea about the way the anaesthetic is going. But probably the thing I find most useful um, is the response, the reflexes, the response to, um, to stimuli. And so um, as the frog relaxes and maybe its legs flop out, um, just gently stretching them out or um, holding them with a tweezer and seeing if they uh, pull back gives you a good indication of whether a suitable plane of anaesthesia has been achieved. Yes, so it's a little bit subjective, isn't it? It's not as, not as precise, I suppose, as some of the other monitoring techniques that we'd use for other species there, Mark. But, yeah, we're looking at respiration. We're looking at, you can, you know, once, once they're out and um, we're doing our particular procedure, we can have a Doppler on them as well. We can sometimes visualise that heart in certain species, can't we, as well, yeah. um, um, fairly well. Um, and, and those um, pinch reflex of writing reflex, etc. Now, um, one of the things, some... Brendan, I always like to mention about the um, immersion is the depth because if we're successful, if the frog is becoming anaesthetised, um, surprisingly for an amphibian, they can get into trouble with drowning if their if their um, uh, nares and oral cavity, particularly the nares, seep below, sink below the the uh, level of um, of the anaesthetic. So yes. it's just important to keep monitoring that that uh, that. Uh, head is the nares are above the level of the immersion solution. Yes. So we've anaesthetized the little froggy with our bath solution mark. Then we gently remove that slippery little sucker out and uh, I tend to just place them on a, a wet um, towel um, that may be warmed um, or on a, on, a, on a bit of a heat pad there, Mark. Not too hot, but um, a, a little bit of warmth on there. And then we are going to do our procedure. Now, if the procedure is pretty quick, um, for instance, if we are removing a some sort of foreign body in the back of the pharynx or, or the stomach, um, it may only take a minute or two, so you may not need to do anything else as far as maintaining that anesthesia, Mark. But what are we going to do if we need to keep that 
froggy anaesthetised um, for a, a prolonged period of time, Mark. Um, how are we going to manage that maintenance of the anaesthesia? Well, my preferred method, and we talked about uh, about this before we came on, was to um, intubate them, treat them like any other um, uh, anaesthetic candidate, intubate them and ventilate them with an anas inhalant anaesthetic gas. This is, of course, not always um, always possible, depending on the size and um, uh, the nature of the problem. Um, and so sometimes we're just, uh, you know, repeating top-up doses of, um, of our anaesthetic agent, uh, letting them have a little dabble in the um in the the pool that they have um uh, it can sometimes make what is a relatively seemingly relatively easy procedure to quite time consuming because um you have to wait for them to get back down to a plane suitable for you to um to uh, uh perform the procedure um yep. and it can be a little bit frustrating at times a challenge, Mark, is the word I'd use. You always a love challenge. a challenge. <laughs> well, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Now, recovery, Mark. So we've done our little procedure or our long procedure. What, what's your method of um, recovering from that um, anesthesia that they are currently undergoing or, or have in their system? Well, it once again depends as to a certain extent on the anesthetic agent, but for those immersion uh, or application type chemicals. If we've uh, let them have a swim in alone or um, we've used isoeugenol, then getting them into some uh, untainted water, Brendan, um, allowing the dilution of that agent um, to uh, uh, be removed from the surface of the skin and to allow that the, uh, the stuff that has diffused into the body to be um, uh, to diffuse back out along concentration gradients, um, and also to allow those metabolic end products of metabolized agent to be flushed from the body. So fresh water, and uh, it's an opportune time to just mention that the water I like to use uh, for the um, purposes of um, diluting the anaesthetic agent. Um, is high quality water, if possible, from the frog's own enclosure. Um, you obviously should check the water for nitrogenous wastes and other problem issues before you use it, but um, their own water is probably the best diluent and the best recovery fluid you can use. Great point, Mark. Excellent point as usual. You're on the ball, on the ball. So other options of anesthetic application mark um, injectable is one that's used fairly frequently and what's your what's your comments on that and your thoughts about it so i've used injectable agents a number as in injectable agents a number of times and geez brendan it's it when I, when there's two primary I, I don't have great success getting intravenous injections into these guys, um, particularly most of the frogs uh, that I'm doing surgery on are not of a size that I could consistently guarantee 
a lingual or a ventral salomic blood vessel is going to be uh, accessed. So generally we're talking about intramuscular or um, intrasalomic administration, injection yep. of the agent. And geez, the intramuscular injections, just the change shape of the muscle just looks like it's really going to hurt. Um, and so I don't feel entirely comfortable with most of my patients using IM injections. And I have really variable results with intrasalomic um, injections. Often the absorption seems to be delayed compared to the very metabolically active absorption that occurs across the skin. Um, so for those reasons um, and uh, the unsatisfactory results that I've had as a consequence, I don't use injections very often at all. Well, not dissimilar. I'm similar to you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> in that I prefer not to use the injectable if I can. Um, um, but sometimes I do have to reach for it because of the struggles with some of those frogs, as we mentioned at the outset, Mark, that we struggle to get under an anaesthetic depth of, of sufficiency, um, of sufficient depth, Mark. So I might then think, okay, I'm going to jab it with something <laughs> to try and get this thing knocked out. But um, if I had a choice, um, I always try for the bath solutions first, Mark, um, which, which is exactly, I think, what you were you were saying. Um, yeah, so, but I, I know there are veterinarians who would reach for injectable options as their first by far, but, yeah, I, I'm with you and that I just worry about the the potential pain and or trauma of the injection um, with with our little froggies, Mark. Um, Speaking yeah. of pain, Brendan, what do you use any Jeez, <sighs> you, you like to throw I the do. curly ones around, don't you, Mark? Uh, it's It's... I think the difficulty well, with... You know, to be fair, to be absolutely fair, <laughs> I asked you some really, really hard questions, really, like, really hard questions, and you never fail to come up with an intelligent, well-considered, well-researched, practical answer. So, so yeah, I have no trouble asking you hard questions. You've set me up beautifully there, haven't you, Mark? Um, I can only manage to fall um, from that. <laughs> well... I think the difficulty with our amphibians, Mark, and our frogs sticking to the subject is that we we don't quite know which analgesic agents or potential agents will provide analgesia in them is my answer to that. So yeah. the, the, the products that I have used or I'd consider using include um, buprenorphine, butorphanol, those sorts of opiates, um, 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 you did mention about, and, and, and we only just touched on it, one of the induction methods of of painting on an, um, a, a product on um, the back of the frog. And, yes. And that works quite – I find that struggles to, in my hands anyway, to completely anaesthetise them, but it works quite well for a sedative effect, Mark. Yeah. Um, and that's the combo. The classic combo there is using um, – uh, lignocaine gel um and also um a bit of halothane uh yeah. sorry not halothane um, um isoflurane um 
and uh, what's the other product? There's three, isn't there? In that, I've I've gone blank um, that we use on it. So it's uh, uh, yeah. Can you remember what the third? No, okay. with that. Um, oh well, if I remember by the end of the podcast, I'll, 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 I'll say, um, yeah. And you paint that on, and that has a bit of a local anaesthetic effect um, with them, Mark. Um, so, yeah, what do you tend to use for um, potential analgesia um, techniques in there? I'm a bit like you in that I don't, I, I don't think there's a lot of evidence-based research. I think there's only. Th- maybe three species of anurans, three species of frogs where there's been uh, research done to look at the analgesic effects of the opiates and mu uh, agonists uh, um, are the ones that seem to um, have the greatest effect. But depending on the species, um, there can be... um, there can be really some significant variation. Um, and so I don't know that we know the, the correct answer. So I'm much like you. I, I probably reach for uh, buprenorphine most frequently and uh, morphine might be my second uh, most uh, frequently used drug. I tend to avoid um, butorphanol unless I am dealing with a species that has evidence of kappa receptor activity. Um, yeah, the other thing that's interesting about analgesia, and just in case anyone is um, is uh, doing surgery on an animal that may be a conservation project, uh, an animal that might be yes. um, intended to breed, the, the opiates, particularly the mu agonists, have a powerful uh, effect on the reproductive tract and can, and can cause reproductive failure, even in... Um, in uh, in uh, otherwise uh, normal animals, so just being aware that it might have that a side effect could be a significant thing for some conservation projects. Great point, Mark. As usual, I think the other product that's used in that little combo there, Mark, oh, yeah. it's Emla cream, isn't it? Um, oh. So, um, which Thank is you. really just like lidocaine and prilocaine anyway, but um, I think it's Emla cream and the isofluorane and or a bit of um, lignocaine mixed in with it. I may, be, may still be off there, but I, I think it was those three. Um, I'm sure one of our listeners, Mark, vetgurus at gmail.com, will send us an email and, and tell us what that combo is. Um, I know it was a was a favourite um, combination of our our good friend Robert Mark um, used to recommend that all the time. So yes, um, so yes, analgesia in them. It's a, it's it's like a lot of things in um, amphibians, Mark, including anaesthesia. Um, it can be a challenge um, trying to decide what what agents to use, um, what analgesic. Um, agents will work in this species or that you have in front of you um, but but yes assume they will feel pain and I'm certain certain they do um, so we need to start thinking about let's see if we can reach for something that we hope um, will provide them some pain relief mark um, any any sort of final comments about um, frog anesthesia mark it's a bit of a thorny one isn't it it's a tricky one it's it is a challenge it is challenging, and I think that the key thing is um, don't hesitate. Two two take home messages. The first one is that I always mention to the client that it is going to be complicated, and we might have to attempt the anaesthesia 
multiple times to get uh, the effect we want so that they're prepared um, that that uh, any given anaesthetic event might not lead to the surgery that they're hopeful for. So excellent communication. Um, and talk to your colleagues. Um, uh, phone a friend. Um, uh, uh, get, get the, um, because there are a variety of techniques, maybe talk to someone that has access to the same uh, drugs and resources that you do and, and gain their, some of their experience. So um, uh, communication with the client, communication with your colleagues. That's the way, Brendan. Mark, I couldn't have said it any better as usual. Oh, Mr. Atros here. I think we better get out of here and we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.